Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. If you haven't been with us and need a little refresher, we've been going through our Never Alone series, and that coincides with our theme for the year, which is, yeah, y'all got to talk today. I'm going to make y'all talk. The theme for the year is never alone, and this theme is increasingly important for us because we live in a world that tries to tell us that we need to be isolated. We live in a world that tries to sell us on the idea that you don't need nobody and you can do it all by yourself, but That's not true. As a matter of fact, that's why we like to utilize Minty.com because in real time, as we're sitting in church, you get to see that you are not alone. When we answer questions and we participate together, we recognize that you're not the only one dealing with that issue. You're not the only one struggling with that sin. You're not the only one with that perspective. And so I want to just go ahead and encourage you right now. Turn on Minty.com. I want to invite you to participate in the message. I don't think anybody else gets to invite you to the message the way we invite you via Minty.com. So go ahead and put in the code 1430-7947. So a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Jackson did an amazing job talking about how we're never alone when we embrace the power of the Holy Spirit and that God wants to live inside each and every one of us and work through us by that power. And then last week, Angel did a great job talking about how sometimes we draw lines where God wants us to draw circles. We tell God what we won't do, and God says, watch me. And so as I was preparing this message today, I thought about what are some of the things that get in the way of us following the movement of the Holy Spirit? What gets in the way of us choosing to lean into God when God prompts us to do things even when it's uncomfortable? And y'all know what I landed on? It dawned on me that sometimes we cannot win the war on the battlefield of our minds. Many times we are inside our own heads waging war against things that ain't happened, didn't happen, won't happen, And when we don't get outside of our heads, we're unable to be effective for God. And so as we find ourselves going down the rabbit holes of fear and anxiety, it can be difficult for us to walk into the things that God has for us. And so in this moment, I want you to use your imaginations. I know imagination is at an all-time low these days because we, we want other people to use their imaginations. But take a moment to think about this. You are at work. You have made the best decisions at work. You have gone and had the biggest wins of your career. You crushed your presentation. You landed that big client. You got the dream job and all eyes are on you. And so you're on cloud nine. And then the next morning, instead of waking up to congratulatory text and great tweets and Instagram stories, you wake up to death threats. Whew. We were on the high, on the mountaintop, and somebody want to kill me? And now I got to flee for my 
life. You know, my hope is that you've never actually had to experience that and that you never will experience it. But my question for you this morning, I'm going to get your fingers going. How would you feel to go from that mountaintop experience, the best day at work ever, and waking up to death threats? How would you feel? Depressed, confused, 38 hot, I like y'all, 38 hot. <laughs> Anxious, fatalistic, okay, $5 words, I like it. Deflated, mad, alone, ready to fight. Instead, we knocking and bucking. Okay, so you're feeling this, and I got a story for you. There's a prophet in the Bible that can relate. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Y'all keep putting your emotions in there. But you would feel all of those things. And the reason I want us to think about this is because sometimes we can read the Bible flatly. We can read the Bible as if the stories about people don't involve people. People with emotions, with context, with feelings, with narratives in their heads. And so we're going to open up to 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. If you dare say there. If you need a minute, say hold up. Good, it's on the screen. Starting at verse 1, it says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything. Pillar talking. Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, she said, Oh, my mama, I'm going to kill you. And then verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. Why? While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Elijah was having suicidal thoughts. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been zealous for the God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected. They haven't. I have. And they rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I love how Elijah was so sure of his standing. I am the only one spiritual enough trying to do the right thing. I'm the only one left, God, and now they're trying to kill me. You know, here in this particular story in the biblical narrative, we have this man, Elijah. And according to the narrator of 1 Kings, Elijah is a prophet. He's zealous for Yahweh. He's a man who pronounced drought and it didn't rain. He's a man that sped by the ravens. And a widow with nothing left. He's a man 
who right before we get to this story, he faced off with hundreds of prophets. He was that guy. And yet we get here and we find a man who's broken, a man who's hurting, a man who's scared, a man who's running. You know, Yahweh came through and yet he still ran out of fear. Verse 4 says he left his servant. Like, if I'm going through something, why would I leave the one person I got with me? He isolated himself and went into the wilderness. And so I got a question for y'all. You know, last week, Angel asked, would you die for the Lord? And I love how 130, 80 y'all said, yes, I would die for Jesus. Would you really? If you were in Elijah's situation, would you die for God? Would you really lean into the death threats? And so I'm asking y'all, what would you do in his shoes? Would you say, you know what, I'm in, I'm ten toes down. For those of y'all who know what that means, it means I'm committed. I'm with Jesus. I'm with God. Or would you say, I'm out of there. (laughs) Not me. Not my life. Nope. <laughs> All right, 20 of y'all said I'm 10 toes down. I'm out of there, it's catching up. See, this is more realistic. Last week, I, no. Y'all didn't want to move for Jesus, but you died for Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I, I looked at the results. I'm like, oh. See, this is more realistic. If we're faced with hard stuff, oftentimes we got to embrace that we run more often than we stay. When we're threatened and our lives are shaken up, we generally look more like Elijah. We run, we self-isolate. And so despite all of our good intentions, we have to recognize that we, like Elijah, got to wrestle. We got to wrestle with who God is, how God shows up, and how honest we are in the midst of what we go through. And so the title of today's message is Theology, Theophany, and Therapy. Now, y'all might not even know what theophany is. You might want to know why the title is this. But what I realized as I was reading this is that how we talk to God, how we talk about God, and how we relate to God is our theology. How God manifests himself and appears to us as we're humans is theophany. And sometimes the only thing that allows us to get to those two things is a little therapy. <laughs> Theology is our God talk. God talk. How do we talk about God? How do, we, how do we come to terms with who God is and what God does and how God moves? Theophany is how God shows up. You know, many of us, we know the story of Moses and the burning bush. That's a theophany. But then we have to wrestle with sometimes our vision of God and how we talk about God 
is strengthened and clarified through a little therapy. And so, for some of us, we got to go back. You know, we go back to the text, and we realize that Elijah's emotional state was what it was. Like, he was angry, he was sad, he was upset. And I can relate to so much of that. We go through difficult times when we don't know where we should turn, and we run. I mean, I'll be honest, I've run from my problems before. I've decided, you know, I don't want to deal with what scares me, and I want to run towards people and places that can just make me feel better. You know, I see the ways that Elijah just had a heart of resignation and isolation. He cut himself off, he left, and went into the wilderness, ready to give up. But fortunately, he was at least willing to be real with God. That's a great step. That's the first step. Can you really be real with God? And that brings me to my first point today, transparency in perspective. Transparency in perspective. You see, despite his challenges, despite what he was going to, Elijah at least was willing to admit to God that he was at his wit's end. Elijah was willing to admit he had nothing left to give, and I believe that's a valuable lesson for us today. As we try to navigate the world around us in this journey called life, we have to say, God, I ain't got it today. What do you want from me? See, if you're in a place trying to figure out where God is or who God is or what God is or what God wants from you, I want to tell you this in this very moment. God is present. God is ready to hear your woes and your frustrations and your challenges. God is listening. If you're watching online, if you're in the balcony wondering, like, is God really listening? The answer is yes. I've been trying to figure out, why is God trying to get my attention? Well, maybe there's something God is trying to stop you from getting to before you get there. And God is like, hey, I'm going to keep tapping. I know you feel isolated and alone, but I'm here. I know you don't want to do this, but I'm waiting for you. You know, one of the things I appreciate is Elijah kept going when he didn't want to. You know, Elijah went to the cave. He decided, I got to fight, and I got to wrestle this out with God. My question for y'all is, where do you go when you're tired of fighting? Where do you go when you are at your wit's end? Do you go to God? Do you go to friends in therapy? Do you isolate? Do you go to unhealthy relationships? Or do you go to destructive behavior? That's real. Looks like isolation is the number one place many of us go when we're tired of fighting. Somehow we we made up in our minds that if we go off by ourselves, and I just stay right here. I ain't got to deal with y'all because people be peopling. And I don't like when people are peopling because people peopling is annoying. But guess what? When you're by yourself, you still got to deal with yourself. When you decide to hide, you still got to wrestle and battle and wage war in the battlefield of your mind. And you find yourself saying, I still ain't got no answers. Because if you had the answers by yourself, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And so why not invite other perspectives into the conversation? 
you know, God didn't get mad at Elijah. God didn't beat Elijah up. God said, you know what, I'm going to minister to you while you're in isolation just because you're being transparent in your perspective. You know, just because you're willing to at least cry out and say, God, I don't have it anymore. God is like, you know what, you're really just hangry. You really just need a snack. Let me give you a little bread and water. Let me give you some of these Cheddar Bay biscuits. That's what it is. That's the problem. Now get up and eat. Truth is, we're all on a journey. We have to navigate this wilderness experience. And I love how over and over again, this this number 40 shows up in the Bible. And 40 is always tied to a journey. 40 is always tied to wilderness, wandering, and trying to figure out where do we go next. I mean, think about it. Moses had to wander. Israelites had to wander. Jesus in the wilderness. How long? How long y'all think Jesus was in the wilderness? 40. And so there's something significant about this, but God nudges us. God pushes us as we open up. But we got to open up. Like, sitting next to you right now is somebody that went through something this week. We all go through stuff. We all battle through difficult situations. And guess what? Y'all here. You made it. If you're watching online, you, your internet's working today. You got network on your phone. Praise God. You made it. And yet God is like, now that you've been honest with me, how can we continue to be more transparent? You know, many times we aren't able to grow mentally and emotionally because we aren't able to be transparent enough. We feel stuck because we always want to curate the perfect image of how things are going and what we're going through. You know, Peter Scazzaro, a few years ago, we read this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he wrote another book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And this simple quote, it's really simple. He said this, it's impossible to be spiritually mature if we're emotionally immature. Impossible. You can't read enough, know enough, pray enough to be mature spiritually if you still don't know how to talk about feelings. We got a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. You know what it means to lament? It means to be in your feelings. And so if the biblical narrative draws a framework for us to say this is really what's going on, if we got the book of Psalms where half of it is David saying, God, I'm tired, then why wouldn't we recognize the connection to being Spiritually mature and emotionally mature. You know, we want to go deep in our serving God, but guess what? That means we got to be willing to go deep in our emotions. You know, we can go through the motions. We can show up. We can check the right boxes. We can serve. We can give. But what if God is calling us to something deeper? What if God is calling us to exhume something that we really need in order for us to go collectively further? You know, one of the things that strikes me about this is Elijah went on the journey and, you know, praise God, he was willing to be transparent, but 
why did he feel like he had to go alone? Why would you leave? Why was he yelling at God in verse 10? I'm the only one left. You know, it's a dangerous place to be in the moment. You start thinking you're the only one going through something. I'm the only one that can't get a grip on my finances. I suck. I'm the only one struggling with my purity. I'm a failure. I'm the only one trying to serve Jesus. I'm lonely. I'm the only one going through a breakup. I'm going to figure it out myself. I should be further along in life. I'm never going to get it together. See, I can applaud him for his transparency, but what happens when we take it a step further? You know, some of you may be listening. You may be here. You may be in the balcony. You may be on the virtual path, and you're saying, you know what? I don't actually need church. I don't need church people. I don't need church building. I don't need church. It's me and God, me and my relationship with God. And I say this all the time. Your relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. Yes, you're responsible for walking and making decisions and and dealing with God in your person, but it's not private. You can't sit in a corner and say, you know what? Today is just me and God, and every day is just me and God, and tomorrow is going to be me and God. How that work? It don't. See, from the very beginning, Jesus set it up to where this is a team sport. Jesus, Jesus, y'all hear me? Jesus decided, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm not walking this walk by myself. It's trash down here. And Jesus decided, you know what? I'm going to get some real dudes. I'm going to get some dudes that's really, they really rough around the edges, but I like it that way. Jesus didn't get the nice, polished Jewish folks. He didn't go to the synagogue and, and, and to the temple and say, hey, you guys with the good prayers, come with me. You guys with the nice robes, come on. Jesus said, I'm not doing this by myself because I got a mission to accomplish. I got things I got to do. You see, transparency and perspective has to transition from talking to God to talking to others. That's why in Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear one another's burdens. You know how you do that? Together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. You know how you do that? Yeah, y'all got the answer. See, one more time. How do you do that? Thank you. And the Bible is full of one another scriptures. If you just Google one another scriptures, I promise it. Just study that for the rest of the year. If you, if you Google one another scriptures and choose one a week and say, how do I make this practical? I promise your relationship with God will flourish. You know, when I think about my journey, I, I think about this life with Jesus, and I'm reminded how transparency and perspective literally saved my life. Can I be vulnerable with y'all? Like, I know y'all used to me being vulnerable with y'all, but I mean, like, can I be, like, real real, real honest with y'all. I appreciate the one that said, keep that to yourself. I appreciate you. Just close your ears. It's three of y'all now. (laughs) All right, now y'all trolling. All right. So 2017, 2017, that was, that was probably the most tumultuous year of my life. Um, 
Some of y'all know I started, started college in 2006, and uh, 2017 I finished. 11 years off and on, going to class, going to school, being out, working. So 2017 started out great. I finally graduate. My son gets to see me graduate, and I have such a great group of friends there. Angel was there. Kavi was there. My mom, my son, my brother, my wife. And so I was like, this is going to be a good year. I flew out to California, saw my son get promoted from fifth grade a couple weeks later, and I was good. And then by the end of the summer, I get a call from my mom, and she says, the house is getting foreclosed. I need you to sell it before that happens. And I get this wave of emotions because it's the house I grew up in. It's the house... I practiced baseball at. It's the house the whole neighborhood came to to play basketball in the driveway. It's the house that all the memories were made from 97 through 2017. And I was in a tailspin. I'm like, my parents are divorcing. I got to sell the house. I'm emotionally tied to this house. I'm, I got to argue with this random woman who was squatting in the house. I, I'm going through it. And yet, My brothers showed up. Brothers showed up. I had one brother, one of my best friends in the world, came scrubbing a retaining wall with Clorox and a sponge. And we sold the house three days before foreclosure. I'm like, great. I can breathe. And then next week, me and Kavi load up a van, take my mom's stuff to Charlotte, He dropped everything he needed to do that day to ride with me to go. And so we did that. And on that that ride, we talked about how he needed to start singing more. He needed to record his, his voice. He needed people. He needed to show people and overcome the battlefield in his mind, the insecurities he had, because he needed to sing. The world needed his voice. So the next week, I fly to California to speak at a conference, and that Friday I'm speaking, he's watching on live, he's just hyping me up, hyping me up. I, I, I believe it was as eloquent as MLK Jr. <laughs> and so that Friday comes, the Saturday comes, that Sunday comes, and I'm in California, three hours behind, and so he's texting. He's like, hey, man, these guys came to church. I'm so excited. We've been, we've been trying to link up with them, and, you know, tomorrow... We're going to get with them. Later that night, I'm on the bumper cars with my son and Callie, and I get a call. He's been in an accident. And I'm like, in my mind, there's only one thing to do. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to be back here, and I'm going to sit in the hospital because he's got to be in the hospital. Hour later, I get the call that he's gone. I broke. I broke. There was <laughs> nothing I could do. I was crying. My son is crying. He crying because he loved Kavi. He crying because he loved me. I broke. And for the subsequent Sundays and following Sunday when I got back, I had to preach. The Sunday after that, we had to fly to Texas for his funeral. The Sunday after that, I had to preach again. Broken. I was depressed. 
hurting, mad at God. And so on October 21st, it was homecoming. I'm a frat guy, and, you know, I'm like, oh, let me go to homecoming. Let me just get my mind off of things. So I go to homecoming, and y'all know anything about homecoming. People going to hand you cups. And they just, my frat brothers just kept handing me cups, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I just kept drinking. I kept drinking. I kept drinking. And I got drunk. And I realized, like, I was trying to drown everything I felt in that moment. And God used one of my frat brothers, who's a disciple. He took my glasses off. He was like, give me your keys. He took my keys, took my phone. We got in the car, and while we're driving down 20 to my apartment, I I just started crying. I said, I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to help people anymore. I don't want to preach no more. I don't want to invest no more. If it hurts like this, I don't want to do it. And he just listened. Another brother showed up at at my apartment, and the three of us just sat there in silence because they knew what I was feeling. They themselves had gone through difficult, heart-wrenching situations. They themselves loved Kavi. And in that moment, I didn't need somebody to preach to me. In that moment, I didn't need somebody to tell me, brother, you shouldn't have gotten drunk. Of course, in my right mind, I know that. But in that moment, I just needed to have a certain level of transparency in my perspective because I was hurting. You know, many of us, we're hurting. And instead of having that tribe of people around us that can build us up and hold us accountable and love us when all we need is love, we're just bleeding out. You know, we don't have to. That's not what we're trying to build in God's church. Is a group of people that come and are always put together. A group of people that come and always have the right things to say. That's not what this is about. But see, you you have to have a tribe that pushes you to Jesus. That's my second and final point today. A tribe that pushes you to Jesus. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And again, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. But going down to verse 18, I love what God says. Yet 
I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him in a whisper. You know, God appeared to Elijah in a theophany, which is just a term. It just means the way that Elijah could see God. A way that Elijah could be reminded of God's power, God's presence, and God's provision. But it's interesting that after all of the noise, God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. Not in the tornado, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a whisper. You know, sometimes in all the loudness of life and all the challenges in our isolation and the quest for answers to the questions, God says, I'm going to respond in a whisper. And sometimes it's that still voice that gets our attention. Sometimes when it comes to the tribe that God wants to put around you, you might need to add some professionals. You know, not only was it my friendships that pulled me out, but I had to go to therapy. And I realized that many of us, our socialization may push us in one direction or another. We, we may have been brought up in an environment where like, don't you go tell folks your business? In-house stuff needs to stay in-house. No. We may have been brought up in an environment that says, you know what, how can they relate to me? They don't know what I'm going through, but they're professionals. You know, I'm grateful that we have professionals here in this church. Like, I'm grateful that we have mental health professionals. We have people who can listen and talk about what you go through. I mean, you don't go to the mechanic and tell him how to do your job, how to do his job, do you? If your carburetor's messed up, you go to a mechanic. If you need to get your money right, you go to a financial advisor. If you need to get your mind right, there's therapy and Jesus. They're not mutually exclusive. You don't, I grew up in an environment where it was like, you just need more faith. If you pray more, well, I'm going in circles if I'm praying. And I don't work out. Why am I praying? I don't work out what am I praying about. I don't work out why am I struggling with this. We got to get to the root of what is going on in our hearts and in our minds in order to grow spiritually. That's why I'm saying this is because if we are able to grow in those areas, guess what? God is able to open more doors. We're able to learn and go deeper in ways that we never understood spiritually. You know, maybe you need to embrace. There's nothing wrong with having a council of advisors. It's, over, it's said over and over again in Proverbs, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is assured with many advisors. So you can have a financial advisor, an accountant, a mechanic, a therapist, a preacher. I promise you, if it, if it get too deep, I'm going to be like, have you been to therapy? <laughs> I'm not going to therapize you, I promise. I'm like, hey, maybe you should try therapy. Because sometimes God is trying to show up so that you can see him more clearly. You know, as we get ready to close, I... I want to ask you, what deliberate decisions are you going to need to grow emotionally so you can grow spiritually? What deliberate decisions do you need to make to grow emotionally so you can grow spiritually? 
Let's see. What, what's, what kind of deliberate decisions we got? Balcony, y'all tapped in up there? Appreciate you. <laughs> Stay consistent in therapy, opening up. I don't know. Fit in family therapy, be honest with myself, getting help to love other people, create boundaries. Yes. These are all good things. And this is what I will say. Even with therapy, it's not just go. Don't just go just to say, I went to therapy. Ah, I got a therapist. It's trendy now. But you got to do the work. Taylor can tell y'all, every therapy session I got given a feelings will. Y'all know why? Because I had five emotions before therapy. Happy, mad, sad. I had five. <laughs> and every session my therapist would say, but what's, give, me, give me a word on the, on the wheel. Perturbed. Frustrated. Indignant. See, you're not alone. Y'all can see up here that you may not have put some of these answers, but you can resonate with some of them. You know, the adversary wants to think you're alone. Struggling in your marriage, you're not alone. Frustrating circumstances with your kids, you are not alone. Fearful of going deeper with God and God's people, you are not alone. Dissatisfied with the current state of your life, you are not alone. But the journey's better with your tribe. You know, as we get ready to take communion, I want you to really take some time to reflect. Jesus desired us to not be alone. That's why he chose to model life for us. That's why he chose to do life with other people who would frustrate him, do life with people who would betray him, do life with people who would hurt him, because that is an inevitability of relationships. But in all of it, I want you to know that Jesus can relate. If you haven't made Jesus Lord, you haven't found your tribe, I invite you to really think about what does it mean for me to journey through the scriptures so I can hear God speak in a gentle whisper. And if you've been following Jesus for a little while and you feel all alone, I want to encourage you. Jesus himself wanted a band of brothers and sisters around him in his journey of life. As we drink this juice that represents the blood of Jesus, as we eat the cracker that represents Jesus' body, I want us to pray and embrace that together really is a better experience. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. Throughout your plan, you remind us through the scriptures that there is help, that there is hope, that there is healing all through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray as we drink this juice that represents your blood, eat this cracker that represents your body, that we can be reminded that Jesus was broken for 
us so that we don't have to be anything other than real and transparent in our perspective so we can find a tribe that pushes us towards him. We love you, God, and we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.